spruce goose. This is an engineering marvel uh, in the fact that it has the second largest still, the second largest wingspan of any aircraft ever designed. And uh, it is at 321 feet across. It is absolutely spectacular uh, to see this monstrosity uh, of, of an aircraft. A football field in context is 360 feet from end zone to end zone. So it's, it's big. Like, you, you feel it. They have aircraft parked underneath it uh, just to give you the scope of this aircraft. And its development was quite contentious. Uh, the eccentric billionaire Howard Hughes was the man behind uh, making this dream a reality. Cost 23 million back in those days, 213 million in today's dollars. But it was this incredible experience to see this plane. Now, it was parked in a hangar. That hangar uh, for 20 plus years held the Spruce Goose because it only ever flew once. It flew for 26 seconds and never flew again. Hughes was able to prove his invention to be true. It flew for 26 seconds, and then it remained for its entire life in a climate-controlled hangar with an entire team of staff dedicated to its preservation. If you know anything about Howard Hughes, he was an incredible billionaire. Uh, many great things did he accomplish, but then towards the latter end of his life, uh, things began to change quite a bit, and he became quite uh, kind of fearful, quite eccentric. He had these kind of unsubstantiated beliefs that people were out to get him. And much of his later days became consumed with worry and fear and anxiety. The last 25 or so years of his life, literally, he would just rent entire floors of hotels, keep all the windows dark, and just stay in darkness and in silence. Only a few special people had permission to even visit him with very detailed instructions about how that was all to take place. It's interesting, when you look at his life, the more wealth and the more stuff he accumulated, the more complex and the more challenging his life became. Worry and anxiety dominated this man's life, who in his early years was able to create so much incredible work. Just a reminder this morning as we get going, we're going to enter into a thing called Q&R. We haven't done it for a few weeks, and so we're going to enter back into that this morning. This is an opportunity to engage with what we're going to be looking at this morning. So if you have any questions, you're welcome to text those or email those uh, to ask at Westview Church. Uh, for all of you joining on our live stream as well this morning, you can have that opportunity as well. Text or email those in, and we'll navigate through that in just a little bit. But we... I really felt this kind of sense over these last few weeks of this topic, this theme that the Lord was kind of stirring in my heart and that I was just so thankful our, our team here was willing to kind of come alongside and to help fabricate with, again, these incredible worship songs, this reality in our culture and context of these ideas, these realities of worry and anxiety. Now, I do this in full awareness that I am not a medical expert, that I do not have any sort of great keen sense of the realities and the intricacies and the delicacies of these very real conditions, but I do want to help us walk into this a little bit deeper this morning because they are real and they are serious, and the church hasn't always done a great job of wading into these deeper waters. And so we're going to go there this morning. And I'm doing this in this all-too-reality, all-too-real feeling and context right now uh, because I am just so overwhelmed with a bit of worry and anxiety because my son is currently competing in the soccer provincials in Okotoks in a game right now where if he wins, he goes to play for gold. And I've turned off all my notifications. 
I have turned off every distracting thing. Even my watch is essentially dead right now so that I don't know because it would just be buzzing with my entire family telling me updates about what's going on. So I'm feeling this. <laughs> like, really feeling this. I'll be there this afternoon for if he goes for gold or if he goes for bronze. But like, I'm feeling this as a dad. And if you have had kids or you've experienced this, you know, you know what I'm going through. Let's pray. I need to pray. Jesus, thank you for who you are for your presence, that it's real, that you're with us by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we're going to look at that this morning. We're going to understand that better this morning because I know I need to realize that this morning. We all do. We all need to recognize your presence, that you're near, and, and that there are times in our lives where we don't always see that or feel that or realize that or understand that, but it's true. So help us to believe that. Help us to lean into that. Help us to go deeper into that this morning, Holy Spirit, by your presence here with me and with my friends, with all of us as the body, for all of those on our live stream. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Because there are some very real statistics about this out there, and it's so good to understand this to help us again recognize the reality of this in all of our lives. One in four Canadians, 25%, aged 18 and older, screened positive for symptoms of depression, anxiety, or PTSD in the spring of 2021. That was up from one in five, sorry, in 2020. So one in four from one in five in just a very short window. That trend line tells us something. There's something that we need to recognize in that. And consistent with previous surveys, Canadians between 18 and 39, I'm going to lump myself in there. I know I'm not far from that 39 number. I know. I get it. Reported the highest levels with 33% for anxiety, 29.1% for loneliness, and 27.7% for feelings of depression in this window. And so we recognize this. We're aware of this. Many of you have faced this or are facing this with loved ones. And so you understand that this is all too real. And so what do we do with this information? As a church, as the body, what do we do with this? How do we understand this? And how do we live this out in our own lives and in the lives of our loved ones? So I want to turn this morning to Philippians chapter 4. We watched a video that kind of helped, again, understand this scripture that perhaps many of us already began to think of, that perhaps came to mind when we talk about this theme of anxiousness. Uh, and so let's get to Philippians 4. We're going to walk through that a little bit this morning, verse by verse. Uh, and then as well, we're going to spend some time in the Old Testament uh, looking at an important individual who I think he himself struggled in this area and who is going to help us understand this better in our own lives. So church, Philippians 4, uh, beginning in verse 4 uh, and, and proceeding. So let me just start here in the word. It says this in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. So let me stop there for a second. We're going to pause a bunch here because there's a lot that Paul is sharing in this passage to the church in Philippi. And I understand that this, this conversation around anxiety and, and depression and worry, it comes with a lot of baggage. It comes with a lot of stigma attached to it, I think. And this whole dialogue, like I said, we as a church have not always led well into this. But I think we want to change that tone. We want to change that behavior. And we want to, like I said, enter into these conversations and help to know how do the scriptures inform this and speak to this and comfort us so that we can say it is well. Those are hard words to sing sometimes. But if you know the story of that hymn and Horatio Spafford and what went on, then you understand just the power and presence of Christ in the midst of one of the most horrific incidents that man ever experienced. And if you want to Google that while I'm preaching, no shame. Go for it. If you don't know the story, that's great. You can Google that and read it. It's powerful. But Paul says in Philippians, 
to this church he's writing to. Let your gentleness be evident to all. This incredible posture that this man who has committed his life to making known the good news of the gospel, who has experienced incredible joy and incredible hardship, says those words in the midst of incredibly difficult circumstances, let your gentleness be evident to all. You see, as followers of Christ, I don't think that we're called to be doormats or pushovers or pansies, but we're not called to be judgmental and jerks to those around us who are struggling. I heard someone tell me once, their worst day is their worst day. It might not be your worst day, but it's their worst day. And what we're called to do is, as, as followers of Jesus, as those who are filled with the Holy Spirit, is that we're called to bring his presence. We're called to bring the presence of Jesus into the room when we come into those places, your homes, your schools, your works, any of those places. That's what we do as followers of Jesus filled with the Spirit. We bring that presence of Christ. Do everything with gentleness and respect. Isn't that what we're reminded to do in 1 Peter? To do everything with gentleness and respect. And Paul echoes that. Paul says that here, to bring that presence of gentleness into our conversations, into those situations that we maybe don't understand well, but are all too real for that person, that loved one, that friend, that coworker, that spouse. And so Paul continues in Philippians 4. He says these words, the Lord is near. Okay, we need to stop there again, because again, these are powerful words. The Lord is near. Let's remember the context of Paul. Paul here is chained. He is in prison. He is likely chained to a Roman guard, and his future does not look good. It's quite bleak. He longs to see those in Philippi that he pens this letter to, but in the midst of his hardship, in the midst of his worry, of his anxiousness, of not knowing what awaits him in the future, Paul says the Lord is near. He encourages his readers to remain steadfast in their faith and to imitate the humility of Jesus. He is pouring his heart out to this church in the midst of his own strong desires of unknowing, of worry, and of anxiousness. And so Paul here in these dire circumstances desires to make known to the church in Philippi and I believe for us too this morning, the Lord is near. Let that sink in for a moment, church, this morning. These words that we have sung, all that we have done is to help us recall to mind and to hold fast to those words, the Lord is near. And so then Paul continues here in verse 6 with these words, perhaps ones that are familiar to some of you. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, I think we need to be careful here for a moment, because what Paul isn't saying is that it's not okay to not ever be anxious. That it is okay to not be okay. Hear me when I say that, church, this morning, and believe it. It is okay not to be okay. But we know where there is hope, and we know where there is comfort. And so Paul is encouraging the church in Philippi, and he's reminding us through the living word of God as well this morning. Yes, there is peace from God that transcends all understanding, that this is available, that this is all too real. 
It's what gives Paul this ability earlier in Philippians 4 to say rejoice always. That, that even in the midst of these situations, even in the midst of Paul's dire circumstances, that he can muster up somehow this courage to say rejoice always. That doesn't make sense to me because I have not always rejoiced. In hard times, in circumstances that don't make sense to me, that is not always my default. Maybe it is for you and we will canonize you and give you sainthood later. That is not my reality. We don't do that, do we? No. Um, But that is not my reality, and I don't think it is for yours too. But he reminds us over and over through the word of God, the Lord is near. There is peace and presence available. And he says do this by prayer and petition, by spending time with the Lord, encouraging the Philippians, encouraging us to have these conversations To be in prayer with the Lord, not just to do it on our own and by our own strength, but to do so in prayer and in petition. To bring these to God. He can handle the hard things. He doesn't just say, just cast them aside. No, he says, bring them to him. He wants them. He wants to carry them. And yet for many of us, we just hold them. We just think we're better at this for some reason. We can just make good of these circumstances. He says, no, by prayer and petition, present your request. Lay it at his feet. Give it to him. Tell him how you're feeling. He will be with you. He is near. He is mighty. He is strong. He is able. He is powerful. He is loving. He is near. It is so good to know the word because when we know the word, we know the characteristics of God, who he is in his character, in his essence, in his being. And we can hold to those because they're true. It's who he is and it's what he does. Yes, we will have seasons of worry. We will have times of anxiousness. But then Paul goes on to help provide a way of thinking when we find ourselves in these moments. And this, he begins in verse 8. He says, finally, brothers and sisters... Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it in practice. And then here comes the promise again. And the God of peace will be with you. To set your minds on these things. To remember what is good, what is lovely, excellent, admirable, praiseworthy. Think about such things and peace will come. Can I be real with you this morning? Can I be honest? I need to... Sometimes I think we have this weird idea that pastors are somehow perfect people. Just ask my wife. I'm not. Ask my kids. Don't ask my kids. No, don't ask my kids. No. But I need to be real with you this morning. I think this is going to help give some context to to why I felt the Lord put this on my heart. So back in March, spring break, we're preparing for this trip for Phoenix, okay? It's going to be our first trip to Phoenix to see Charity's family, for my kids to see their grandparents in two and a half years, right? We did not travel internationally for like two and a half years. And and so here comes this window of availability again to get down to Phoenix. Uh, You had to do the COVID test 24 hours prior. If that doesn't cause anxiety, I don't know what does. So Noah and I had the golden ticket of exemption because we had both had COVID within those 90 days. But Charity and Talia didn't. So 24 hours prior, they go for their COVID tests. And all of the while, these days leading up to this test, 
my gut is in absolute knots. I have never felt something like this before in my physical being. I was sick. I was literally popping Pepto-Bismol capsules like they were a fresh can of Pringles. I did not know what was going on inside of me at that time, but I felt sick. So the test came back negative. We got on the plane. We landed in Phoenix. And within hours, hours, all of those symptoms were gone. And it was a wake-up call for me. It was a very real wake-up call. So over the course of the last couple of years, I've been meeting with a counselor, working through in my own life, some of my own journey in worry, in anxiety, in, in these areas. And it manifested itself in a very real presence that week leading up to this trip. I never felt a manifestation of anxiety like that before. Maybe you have. Maybe you've navigated this. And so I hope you understand what this is like. So I booked an appointment with my counselor. I had a great conversation. Christian guy gave me a great opportunity to be able to wrestle through some of this, not just from a biological, physiological piece, but from a spiritual piece. Because I want to be able to understand that from, from the Word of God and how that, again, applies and lives out these truths in my life and in our lives. And so I had this powerful conversation with him as we're walking through me sharing some of what's going on here. He drops this. He says, was this trip to Phoenix an idol for you? This is why I pay him as much as I do. Wow. Yeah. It was. I had put everything into this trip. It was an idol. To me, it was more important to go on this trip than it was to acknowledge the goodness and presence of God by the power of the Holy Spirit within me, that regardless of what was going on in my life, I could sing, I could make known that it is well. And so he says, you know, were you placing this trip above God? Was this trip an idol? And just, poof, mic drop. Just an incredible, powerful moment of understanding in my own journey and in my own understanding of these words. That the Lord is near. That he is good no matter what the circumstances in as much as it is hard to understand that and acknowledge that in that moment. So church, let me take us to the Old Testament, to the book of Elijah. Sorry, First Kings. It's the story of Elijah. There's this new book in the Bible. No, oh gosh. Uh, don't fire me. First uh, Kings chapter 19. The story of Elijah. A bit of context here. One of God's prophets, 1 Kings 17, says, In those dark times, God raised up a light, the prophet Elijah. You see, these were dark days for the people of God. This was not an easy time to follow the Lord. And yet here, he raises up this man named Elijah. And we begin to pick up the story in chapter 19. Having greatly upset Jezebel and the local leaders and prophets upon hearing word that she had issues with this edict, he was to flee in 24 hours or face certain death. And so Elijah did just that. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them Verse 3, Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. Now, remember, this is the same prophet who stood down 450 prophets and the king himself. This was no man who wasn't afraid in serious situations. And yet here in this moment, upon hearing this word from Jezebel, he runs, he flees, he gets as far away from things as possible. Anxious of what the future holds, he hightails it out of there. 
It's an example to all of us that, that even with our many moments of strength, of courage, of seeing God do great things in and through our lives, there can be these moments where even the very prophet of God experiences fear and anxiety and its presence overtaking his life. So let's pick it up again. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat under it, and prayed that he might die. He's having a great time here. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. You see, these were dark days for the people of God, and these were dark days for Elijah, struggling to recognize what was going on in his own life, fearful, worried, anxious about this very moment in his journey. Elijah's reaction to the uncertainty and to the challenges he is facing, he cries out to God, take my life. This is heavy. This is real, though. This is happening. This is contextually relevant and real to Elijah in this moment, a man who devoted his life to following God, to saying, yes, I will. I will serve you. I will worship you. Like many of us have done in our own journey, say, yes, Lord, I will follow you. And yet here, his cry is, take my life. We need to have a heart check here, I think, church. Because I think for many of us, we've found ourselves in these heavy moments where things have gotten dark. But we need to remember what Paul said, what we were reading just moments ago in Philippians 4. That God is near. That he is with us. That we recall to mind what was the name given to Jesus. Emmanuel. What does that mean? God is with us. In the power and presence of his son incarnate, the God made flesh and through the power of the Holy Spirit, he is with us. And look what we read further in this chapter. At all at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals in a jar of water. He ate and drank and then took another nap. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. And strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. Man, church, there is so much in here we could unpack. There is so much in here. If you just read this in light of the Gospels, in light of the Scriptures, and you begin to get glimpses of foreshadowing of where the Lord is already putting things, 40 days, 40 nights, pointing towards Jesus here. The mountain of God, he spent the night. But I want to ask a question. Did you hear something in this? How do you touch something or someone? You need to be close. Like, like I, I, can't, I can't physically touch you. I can't get to you. You're not close enough. But in this story, as we recognize here, the angel of the Lord touched Elijah, there was this closeness, this presence, this all too nearness in his moment of anxiousness and worry to remind, to be reminded that the Lord would care for him, would provide for him, would sustain him with bread and with water to nourish him, not just physically, but spiritually for what was ahead. Because as it says, this journey ahead is too much for you. Yeah, the journey for all of us is too much for us. That's why we need Jesus. That's why God sent him, because the journey ahead is too much for all of us. We need Jesus. That's why he came. 
That he is more than enough, that he is sufficient for our needs, and he is near as the angel was to touch Elijah. It's a reminder echoed in Deuteronomy 31.6 in Hebrews 13.5. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Again, this reminder that we see throughout the scriptures of the presence and the nearness of God. So looking at the story of Elijah, I think there's two things I want us to be able to take away from this text, from the story, from what we have read this morning. And the first one is this, that we need to be near one another. Again, I go back to the last few years. If there's anything this season has taught us is that we need to be near each other. The opportunity to be a part of something like this is special. It's sacred and it is good. It is good to gather together. It is good to be a part of this. And it is good for you, even on our live stream, to be a part of what God is doing here in our midst. We are together in this. But Elijah was afraid. He ran away. He took off. He feared for his life. He left any sense of community, any sense of relationship, any sense of belonging. And that is the opposite of what the Lord desires for us as the body. The scriptures say that the the hand needs the foot, the eye needs the toe. we, We are dependent upon one another. We need each other as the church. We cannot do this alone. And yet we run. In these circumstances of anxiety and of worry and of fear, we run. We pop Pepto Bismol pills like Pringles chips. We scroll endlessly. We choose things to numb our pain. And the Lord is saying to us, we need each other. That's what we need. But Elijah fled. He fled from all community. And I think this is often our default. But again, we are created for community church. We need those safe spaces where we can be heard. We have elders, again, at that prayer room to listen Not to tell you what's wrong with your life, but to listen and to pray and to journey alongside you because that's what God does by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit with us. And secondly, we need to listen. We need to listen carefully because if you continue in the story of Elijah, God shows up and God shows up in a very interesting way and he doesn't show up in the earthquake. He doesn't show up in the fire. He doesn't show up in the wind. He shows up And the only way to hear a whisper is to be near someone. You can't hear a whisper from a distance. And sometimes the Lord speaks in a whisper. And if we're not near to him, we won't hear it. You see, because the world shouts. The world makes known its presence through very loud circumstances and through very loud means and methods. The Lord whispers. And he did that here to Elijah. He made himself known. But are there enough distractions in our lives to drown out the very near and dear and loving and comforting presence of the Lord in our lives? And in those moments of great anxiousness, again, as I have lived through this, as many of us have lived through this, I recognize that there are a number of ways in which we can navigate this reality. You see, it might mean looking to get a counselor, someone who can walk with us and listen and help us understand what Jesus is saying in this. It might mean for some of us adjusting our diet, just going on the Elijah diet and bread and water, and and there you go. Or we need to seek assistance from the medical community. But we need to listen. We need to listen to the Lord. We need to be in the Word. 
We need to be attuned to his voice so when the world is screaming and shouting at us, we can still hear his whisper. Because the Lord speaks still. He's speaking to us. He is near to us, church. And I want us to understand that in this season of life as we look out towards this fall. Uh, a feeling for many of us that it feels like life is about to return to some semblance of normalcy again. But for many of us, we're entering into a new school year, a new job, a new scenario with family dynamics. And so there is with that itself this presence of anxiousness and worry and uncertainty. And so again, the Lord reminds us that he is near. He is with us, that he is speaking. And it might not be in the obvious, but he is speaking. And he is present as we have sung, as we have heard, as we have learned to recognize the truth of this morning, church. So I want to take a few moments to, to navigate this. If there are questions that perhaps have come through uh, this time with some Q&R, for those of you joining on our live stream as well, would love to be able to invite you into that. If there's questions here, uh, again, this is the time of Q&R, of response, that we don't necessarily say that we will give answer to, to those questions, but we want to engage with it and respond to it and wrestle with it. Uh, as I get, this is a pretty significant and pretty, uh, pretty serious topic, but we want to wade into those waters as a church. We want to continue doing that as a pastoral team. Uh, and so I'll invite Reese up here this morning uh, to join with me, invite the, the worship team as well to come uh, to be a part of this as well. Uh, and so I'd uh, love to be able to, to spend a few moments. It's ask at westviewchurch.ca. Uh, if you want to text or email those in, uh, you're welcome to, to do that this morning. And uh, we want to wrestle through this. So, brother. Uh, at the beginning of your sermon, you gave us some statistics. Yes. Uh, depression, anxiety, those kind of things. If those are true, the question is, they are probably true within our church. So how can we as Westview become more informed, I guess, on trauma, PTSD, depression, anxiety, mental health, and although we need spiritual practices to help us, yeah. what else could we do? That's a great question. Yeah. Yeah, those are percentages for the church too, right? Like that doesn't just exist out the walls and then, and then like it's different in here with some sort of magical fairy dust. Uh, it, it's It's a great question because it's my reality and it's probably maybe yours too. I'm in that percentage group and so I acknowledge that and I understand that and so I want to lead out in that. I don't want to be a pastor that comes across as having it all figured out and all together and so I think what we all need to acknowledge is that we are not perfect people, that we are filled with the presence of Christ and so we will one day experience perfection but it's, this, it's that side of glory and so I think we need to acknowledge it, we need to wade into it, we need to recognize that there, are, there is help there are great ways of seeking help, and I think I listed some of those, you know, in my message. And I think we need to recognize this morning that we don't walk into church wearing a mask. Yeah. But it's true. We don't need to walk into this place wearing a mask pretending to have it all together. We can be real, I think. We can all be honest and transparent. And the more we do that, the more we see Jesus at work in our brokenness. Because in my brokenness, he begins to work. And I think that helps acknowledge it. And I think we just need to be gentle. Do everything in gentleness with one another. Let's be kind as the church. Great question. Any out here at all? I don't want to come across as judgmental. But I almost get the sense that you're saying we have to accept 
that that's the norm. Mm -hmm. And I certainly, like you, I have worry, I have anxiety, uh, so I'm not perfect. But is it really a sin? Mm -hmm. Like, is this what God wants us to have, is worry and anxiety? Because when the angels proclaimed Jesus coming to earth, he said, peace on earth. Mm -hmm. um, so I think the norm should be peace, mm. not anxiety. And we, I'm almost hearing you say we have to accept the fact that that's the reality. Mm. Um, and I know that the modern church doesn't want to push for we need to change. Mm. But I want to hear what you question. have to say about that. It's a great question. And I, I hear you. And I don't feel the judgmental. I don't feel any of that in that question, Fritz. Thank you. I, I think... Is it a sin? No. I'm not going to go there, but I'm going to say it's a part of the fall. I do believe that this is outside of God's desired created order. Absolutely. I think what the Lord desires is peace, and he promises that. And we will experience perfection and that ultimate peace that side of eternity. But I do think it is a reality. I do think it is a part of the brokenness of humanity that we are living in, because that is our context. And so, yeah, is it God's desire? No. But it is a recognized reality. This is a part of life. And so I don't want to glorify this. Paul says, the word of God says, do not be anxious. But we recognize that, that are we allowing that to be, again, this idol? Are we allowing it to control our lives? Or is he Lord? And I think that's the part that we need to then get to. Who's on the throne? What's on the throne? Is it our anxiousness? Or is it the King Lord Jesus? And that's a journey. That's not a one and done. That's not always an easy thing. But I think that's where we need to go. I think that's where we're headed in this, is that we will struggle in many things as we all do in life. But yet what we are desiring above all, what I had to learn, is that he is Lord. And that no matter what may come, is he enough? Is he good? Is he Lord? And I hope at the end of the day we can say yes to that. Thank you. Tyler, thank you for your bravery this morning and allowing God to lead you. Because what you have just done, is model what authenticity is. And um, as I'm listening to you, I realize I, I work in an area where to talk about anxiety and all that, actually in some languages there are no words to, de to describe it. And as a result, there's a sense of shame. Mm -hmm. And sometimes to, in, in church, we sometimes do that. We, we are afraid because I'm not, maybe I haven't got it all together, but I'm just so thankful. That's my comment this morning. Thank you for modeling what vulnerability looks like through Thank Jesus you. Christ. Thank you. This is all for Jesus. This is what he does in my life. This is what he can do in your life. And that's just what we want to be up here. This is what Paul says, right? Like, just do is what you see God doing in me. That's what we want. Hey, uh, Todd Wiley. Um, I was just wondering, to piggyback off of some of what's been discussed, I don't necessarily think of anxiety as just a bad thing. Being anxious can sometimes be a good thing. Mm -hmm. I think of it as something that prepares me for being in front of people or speaking or any of those things. Mm. So is it maybe that when the anxiousness overwhelms us, it's we're not understanding where it's coming from and we're not giving over that concern to God? Mm. And maybe that's why Paul doesn't want us to be anxious. It's okay to be anxious to be ready for you know, a mm. performance or a concert maybe, yeah. but maybe when it prevents you from living your life, is that where it 
where, where the concern is? It's a great question. I think there's, there's definitely some good truth in there that, yes, you're right. For many of us, I mean, the thought of you coming up here and doing this is, is already giving you anxiety, is already filling you with anxiousness. I mean, I get people ask me, how do you talk to hundreds of people in a room? And it's like, I don't know, just this is what you do. This is just what God created me for. But I think there is that reality that there can be that preparatory work that it helps us, again, acknowledge who's on the throne, who is Lord, you know, that this is not done by my own strength. I don't get up here and do any of this by my own strength, but by the work of the Lord in and through me. His power made manifest in my life by the Spirit. That's what equips me to get up here and do this. And so you're right. In those moments where you've got a big presentation or something to be able to say, you've got hard questions to ask, what are you doing? Where are you going? Who are you trusting in? Your own competency or in the Lord in you? And I think definitely Paul is helping the Philippians and us understand that in that passage. I think that's a great question. Yeah, keep them coming. Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it's unusual that we as Christians should be distressed or troubled. That's great. Man, you guys just want to keep doing this. this, this good. <laughs> Love it. This is what it's for. It's why we do this. It's not, it's not any other way. I love it. Okay, so Cecil says that you're being vulnerable. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you a personal question. Why are you concerned about how your son is going to do in <laughs> soccer game? No, seriously, I'm asking that question. Uh. <laughs> This thing has been vibrating, and you know what it's doing. I mean, I say that maybe, again, you know, this is public speaking 101, you know, break it down, get some humor in there to kind of get the crowd into your favor. But the reality is, yes, I say this in jest, but I say this in seriousness. As a loving father, what do I desire more than anything else? For my son to know he is loved and valued and cared for. Over the course of this entire tournament, what have I communicated to him? It's not about whether you win or lose. Are you playing fair? Are you, you know, trusting in this? And so I say that in a part, yes. Do I care about the outcome? No, what I care about is my son's salvation and his eternity with the Lord. That's what I care about for all of us. And yet, yes, there is that part of you as a father, as a, as a wife, as a whatever, that just wants that best, even though I know that it doesn't matter. It's just a game. Don't watch the sermon, Noah. Um, <laughs> it's attention. We're not perfect. We are going to struggle. That's a struggle. That's not like me glorifying it. That's a struggle. That is a reality for me that I'm doing everything in my power not to turn my wrist. Well, let me tell you this, church. The way of Jesus isn't to suck it up and pretend that everything's okay. That we shouldn't, as I said, pretend to come into this place and to wear a mask. Because Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Paul recognizes this in 2 Corinthians, right? He says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. And so we need to get behind the stigma. We need to get away from the realities of this, and we need to lean into Jesus more. We need to trust him. We need to, to worship him. We need to be in the word together. Because if you're struggling, it's okay not to be okay. There is help. There is hope. God is near. Listen to these words from Psalm 34 and worship to him. Yeah, let's just, let's just begin this. Let's just begin this. Hear these words, church. I held these close this week. The Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. He rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted 
He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. You see, church, the Lord is near. He is with us this morning in our moments of weakness. He is with us in our moments of great joy and celebration because he is for us. He has created us. He loves us more than we even know. He is here right now by the Holy Spirit's presence. And so let me pray. Lord, I thank you for this moment in our week, in our day where we do pause, where we do tune our hearts to sing your praise, to hear from you through your word. And I pray, Father, as we go into this week that we would enter into these moments of uncertainty, of of difficulty, acknowledging that you are present, you are real, you are with us, you are for us, but that we would do so with gentleness and respect. But the way that we live our lives beyond these walls causes people to scratch their heads, to be confused, to not know, why do you live this way? Why do you do this? It's because of you, Jesus. It's all because of you. It's always what it's been and it's always what it will be. So help us to live that out today, tomorrow, every day of our lives. That you are on the throne, Jesus. You are Lord and Savior, provider and comforter. And that no matter what may come, no matter what situation, we can say it is well because you love us and you've saved us. Amen.